Restore Gospel Podcast. Let's call it Secret Oasis Edition. The Secret Oasis Edition. <laughs> we are coming mobile this morning on the back of Corey Stark's deck, surrounded by trees and birds <laughs> and fireworks remnants. <laughs> I like being out here. It reminds me of when younger days of going camping and then waking up in the wilderness somewhere and it was always a little cool, a little mm -hmm. dewy in the morning and just hearing bird songs, a little smell of a fire from the night before. I, that's one of my biggest memories of camping because we used to camp when we were younger. As a matter of fact, we'd pull a camper on our vacations, family vacations. Yes. But, ah, tent camping. I just always remember being wet. Yeah. Just yeah. wet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, that dew would seep into the sleeping bag in the morning and you'd touch that little canvas tent, you know, and it would start dripping. And, dripping. And, and, you know, back then we didn't have the nylon tents. They were always these canvas. Oh, yeah, like the Coleman camp, canvas. Right, and they, they always got musty, mildewy smell, but you associated that with camping. It was a good thing. Yeah, we were out one night. Our, we had families that, another family would always go camping, and me and the, and the guy, or the, their son, would stay in a tent, and we were on a little bit of a slant, and I got the downside of the slant, and it rained the night before. And I, I remember not just being wet, but like having my arm submerged in water, like outside of my sleeping bag. <laughs> and the whole, it was just, I was just so soaked. And I'm like, I yeah. hate camping. And that's why I stay in a hotel. <laughs> like, uh, we had stories like that too. We, we were in Colorado about 20 years ago, three other families. Everyone had like three or four kids under the age of, Five, and uh, we thought, oh, we're gonna go camping in the mountains. And got up there that first night, and we were just getting the tent set up, and it starts raining and hailing and snowing. And, and we slept in our vans and our cars that night. And the next day, we it was sunny. We thought it's gonna be a great day. And that second night, just after sun went down, up in about 9,500 feet in Colorado, June. Same thing, raining, starts hailing and snowing, and everyone got, like, totally washed out. <laughs> and the, the third night, so then after that, one family's tent was just, there was no way they could sleep in it. Their sleeping bags, everything was wet. They were in a lower spot, and they got washed out. And they came in our, our tent. We had 12 people in a tent. 12 <laughs> people? Yeah, they were all little kids and everything. And once I got everyone tucked in, I realized there's no place for me. And I remember just kind of trying to find a place on the side of the tent to sleep on my side all night. And it rained that night. <laughs> I was in this river water. But anyhow, what's funny is we realized after those camping events, you know, they're memorable and you laugh at them years later. But the, I, I don't think I ever got my family in a tent again because the next summer... We borrowed a friend's pop-up camper, and we went back in the mountains, and it was raining and snowing, and, and we were all dry, and, and it was like, after that, I think we just kind of progressed up. We, we, I don't think the family ever tent camped. I have, but, you know, it was like, they don't like wash, drying out every morning. <laughs> Spent half the day recovering from the night before. Yeah, we... We went up in class from our pole behind camper to when my grandparents got rid of their motor home. We took that and had that for a few years. And that was neat because you'd pull into a place and you wouldn't have to set up, the, crank the trailer up and pull the wings out. You just drove yeah. in and you're ready to go. You're ready to go. And then we went from there to hotels and there was like the best <laughs> ever. The best ever. 
The best uh, thing about hotels was like finding the ice and pop machine and getting a pop yeah, every exactly. night. It was like exactly. it was always no matter where you were at, it was different flavors like grape knee high or peach <laughs> knee high, <laughs> grape fago, <laughs> Tropicana Hawaiian punch. When we were young, you know, I I had it in my mind that motels were superior to hotels because my only memory, and I was like four, one of my first memories of traveling was, I, I, maybe I was younger than that, but we stayed somewhere around Detroit in this old, old hotel where it was so old that um, the rooms you rented didn't have their own bathrooms. There was just a bathroom down the hall. I mean, that's kind of how it was. Like, it was probably a late 1800s type of wow. style. <clears throat> and so, anyhow... Um, I still remember being three, having to wait in line at the bathroom at the end of the hall. But so when we traveled when I was young, uh, we took this long trip. I was like six and uh, I don't know how my dad got the time off work, but we traveled for six weeks out west. Now this is a little Michigan family who had never really gone anywhere in an old blue station wagon with no air conditioning. We drove, we, we hit I, I'll, most of the western states. But I still remember all these mom and pop hotels, motels, you know, just drive up. And I knew we were staying in a fancy place for the same reason you said you could get like a, a, a glass bottle of pop. And then in your room, the two things I remember was you knew it was really cool because they would have a bottle opener on the side of like the bathroom vanity, you know, the old type. But some of the motels had a little machine on the bed you put a dime in it and the whole bed would vibrate I, i've seen those in like movies yeah. i never was have experienced one of those oh my gosh that was the best you knew it was like first class so <clears throat> we um we went that whole trip i remember driving around through the midwest staying at little mom and pop hotels every every night and we always hoped there was a vibrating bed <laughs> It's crazy before the internet and Google, where you just Google your next arrival, you know, you get yeah. on a Travelocity or something and f find out what hotels are available for what price. Cause you, we had AAA and they had these things called a triptych. I don't know if you remember these. So you, mom and dad would plan the vacation and all the stops and AAA would print out this thing called a triptych and it was like a... Oh, it was, it, it was like maybe the size of a folded map, but it was spiral bound at the top and it would have a section of highway for you know, 200, 300 miles, and, and you'd flip it over, and on, on the back would show you like all the hotel stops and things that were AAA. And so my job was always to follow that map and see where we turn next, and then uh, and then you could pick a hotel out, and you had this this travel guide with all the hotels in it, and they'd have like diamonds, you know, four diamonds mm. or three. And this one trip out west, it was like a two week trip. It was one of the best vacations we. We could never find a hotel with a diving board. It's like, I don't know if somebody, they were starting to transition away from them, too many lawsuits or whatever. And the one night we were driving and we were in a pretty bad area of a major town and it was late. We drove late that night and I was trying to find this hotel and I found one. It looked eh, kind of okay. And we pulled in. It was one of those where you, they're like an L shape, you know, one one story and you pull up right by the door and, and use the key to get in and... <clears throat> Uh, it was pretty, it looked a little dicey, but we looked over there and there was a pool with a diving board. Oh, nice. And <laughs> the lady was so nice and checked us in. It must have been 10 or 11 at night. She goes, you guys just swim as long as you want. Just lock the gate. And she gave us a bunch of towels <laughs> and we're out there late at night just that's jumping awesome. off this diving board. Oh, that's cool. Huh. Yeah. 
So yesterday after class, <clears throat> you and I were talking a little bit. What a great class that was. I was thinking about that yesterday. Um, but I was thinking about trusting trusting God this week and how how can um, how do we trust God when can we trust God if we believe that he's not going to save us to be with him in the end so, you know so, like we've talked about before some some will be with him but some may be with the son or with this the angels in a different eternal resting place. And when I thought about trusting God this week, I thought I've got to be able to trust God to not just bless me the way I think I want to be blessed, but to punish me and to correct me because he loves me. Mm. Even if that means I'm in jail or a prison for a while mm. after I die, if I haven't, if I haven't sub- learned to submit to him in this world that that his work's not done with me and that I just have to trust that he's going to bring me to where I need to be to be with him in his kingdom, even mm-hmm. though it's still my choice and I still have my agency. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can't trust him to do that because he's he's left the choice up to me. You know, you look at agency and I think, well, I've got the choice to choose and I'm going to get rewarded based on what I choose. But I need him to, I need to be changed from those choices. That's the real deal is if I I need my will to be changed, not just. And so I've got to be able to have a, a relationship with my creator that allows me to trust him. Even in the hard stuff. Yeah. And and even that, that I'm going to be corrected, you know, yeah. like, like, just like we, we correct our children. Would our children trust us if we, we raised them and just, uh, never, never guided them or never punished them, never, mm-hmm. never gave them consequences and just trusted, you know, and they said, well, you're going to get what you get based on your, on your choices. I'm not here to take away that freedom from you. Mm. Uh, you got to be careful comparing us to God, but <laughs> I don't know how you um, how you have a correct relationship with your Creator if if you believe that your your eternity is just based on what you decide to do and your response. Well, we were visiting yesterday after class, and I, I you said it so well about. I don't know. It's like trust. We have to trust one one definition, and and this is what seeped into our thinking from the early days of Mormonism, which we we have to separate and come back to the Book of Mormon. But one definition of salvation makes it based on our temporal works, whereas the real definition of salvation is based on His eternal work. You know, it's <clears throat> one of them. Definition looks at our righteousness where the real definition of salvation looks at his righteousness and then calls our hearts to repent, you know, even and, and to, like you were talking about, to trust him, you know, with, with the hard things. That's, um, that's the result of a changed heart, you know, when it's like, okay, Lord, you know, I, I get it. I don't always have the answers. I don't always understand why, but I get that if I'm trying to follow you, that um, your will can be done and is being done, even when I don't understand it, 
because it's all for your work and your glory to bring us back to you. You were you were talking about the rod of iron yesterday mm -hmm. in a little bit and how that's not just uh, you know holding on to your scriptures and they'll tell you what to do and you know you'll you'll read those words and then act on those words and try to live your life like what you read but it's uh, but it's also holding on and being connected to Jesus. Christ and and at the end of class yesterday and when we were talking that um, to me that changes it's just all encompassing it's everything it like elevates Jesus to the place he should be mm. in our life and mm. that's um, he's everything he, he's my only hope I love that you know that word elevate Jesus that's that's what the word can do you know <clears throat> I thought about this too you know, the, I guess in what you're referring to is we were looking at the Hebrew and the Hebrew talks about <clears throat> using the actual letters of the Hebrew God as this Alpha and Omega. And there's times when this Alpha and Omega, these letters in the Hebrew are connected to other letters and they take on meaning. Sometimes it was connected to the symbol of a man. Sometimes it was connected to the symbol of light. And then John, in the first book of John, explains all that in terms of Jesus. He was the light. He was the Word made flesh. And that's what the rod of iron is. It's more than just studying our three-in-one. It's holding on to the rod means holding on to the, the Word made flesh, which is, yes, studying our Word, but letting it change us and elevate Jesus to the point where that's what we want. And that's, and that's, that's the key. You know, we can, I was about to say we can study... A, a thousand scriptures I, I, and I've known people who are just amazing at quoting chapter and verse but it becomes meaningless if that doesn't elevate us and change us it's one thing to be able to quote a scripture like I say you know that and, and I know you weren't minimizing and I'm not minimizing our study of scripture or our three and one that's not to put that down it's just to say it's got it, the cumulative effect of all that has to be to change us in the end you're right no <clears throat> as a matter of fact I was driving uh, driving yesterday and I thought I haven't I haven't had my book open, my book of scriptures open in a bit, and that I need to make sure I'm reading every day again because you read those little snippets of truth and they, they do, uh, there's something about the word when it comes from the mouth of God and, and is recorded directly as he wants us to understand it that has power, you know, more than just reading a word and, mm -hmm. and making it into, like we said before, a bumper sticker or some casual, you know, cliche. But when you read that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. That and the word was God. And the word was God. <laughs> when we talk about the word or the, the iron rod holding on to that, that's something, man. Mm -hmm. What... What does that mean? The word, the word was with him. We, our way of thinking in this society, that's just so different to us. When we have books and we have many uh, words that we can hand, we handle. You know, and, and think back to the times when there was no. Everybody didn't have a book. Everybody didn't have a, a Kindle. Yeah. What was the word to them? It was. It was probably more living and more uh, alive and and. Not a thing you pick up, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Something you hear and you you apply, you do. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Thought about that. How many times in Scripture you read about people acting on things, but it's not like they had a 
three-in-one or a phone or a computer app, you know, something to look up the word really quickly. It was transforming. And you mentioned something I thought was cool. We are talking about the Hebrew, how this origin of their letters is unlike our English alphabet where, you know, you combine letters and they make a sound, but the individual letters don't really mean anything. In the Hebrew, the even the individual letters still carry a meaning and combined with other letters, they, they form a picture. And you, I think you were mentioning how, you know, it must be a different experience for the people who understood the Hebrew to to get the meaning of what they're reading, but also see like the picture, uh, you know, it, the, the words represent symbols, represent meaning, to see all that flowing. I bet you can hear that bird. <laughs> He's close. He's right there, that little guy. But you know how that's a that's got to be a transforming experience of the mind. Leave that little guy. He's only about three inches long, making all that noise. There was an owl just a little bit ago when you were talking. Well, you look at, um, <clears throat> but it, you know that whole thing of the Hebrew, though this this idea that you know they can see this picture, and maybe that's what made it stick. Is you know they could read this word, but then they could hear it and see it and feel it in a different way from their letters. When we were in Moab, this past year this past summer on vacation there was some pictographs on the walls or on the, I don't know what they call them glyphs yeah and petroglyphs petroglyphs and you know they're pretty faded but you could still see them good and it was weird to see like <laughs> you know on the back of the minivans today you see like all these little white stickers like yeah. seven kids and yeah. a dog and a cat right but it was you saw like these little stick like but there's like 10 of them and it's like oh the original minivan sticker <laughs> and there and then you see like trees and a symbol of a buffalo and, and it's like this story of what happened maybe and they're supposed to be a couple thousand years old which is amazing but you look at those, but then I think about, so you think about writing and how God, you know, had to, with Adam, teach him this language mm -hmm. of how to communicate. Him and Eve must have talked, and then he's communicating with language to his kids, the very first language. And so I was thinking about the Hebrew, you know, did God give them the intel? did God show them, you know, this is how you write this letter, this is how you're going to communicate, or did he just give them the intelligence to come up with it, probably, to come up with a, a written language? Because, you know, you've had things like the Bible code and these numerology and everything that I think kind of gets into, like, almost like fortune telling and mm -hmm. astrology and things that... Yeah, I, I, I don't go there too but much. I, but the Hebrew language, when you're talking about you know, taking a letter, there's only 22 letters in the, mm -hmm. in the Hebrew alphabet, right? Mm -hmm. And the Greek word was alpha and omega, is mm -hmm. what you said. But the Hebrew would have been the, um, let me see if I got it right, the tov, aleph, aleph? Yeah. A-L-E-T-H yeah. is the mm -hmm. first one. And then was it T-O-V? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So aleph tov would be the alpha and omega. But, but with Hebrew, it was just the first and the last letter of the alphabet, which was only 22 letters. Right. But each each letter in the Hebrew is made up of smaller shapes that have different meanings. Like the, you talked about the hook. Mm -hmm. It was like a line, well, it looked like almost like a railroad spike with, yeah, a, yeah. with, a, with a, um, the top part was wider and then it went off to one side and it looks like a cane. Mm -hmm. That was the hook connection. Yeah. How you connect something. And that connection could stand for like a hook, like a tent peg, 
or it was also the symbol for man. In the, and then they have that symbol for man connected with the symbol for God, the ox head and a cross. You know, it's like how how much more pictorial can that be? God, mm -hmm. a cross and man. Yeah. And so this is from different <coughs> scholars today. There's videos and there's books being written as they study and, and kind of bring that language back to life mm -hmm. from people that understand it, whereas for a while it was kind of, it wasn't understood. Yeah, and it wasn't understood at all on Justice Smith's day, that's for sure. This, um, this um, <laughs> it's interesting too because so much of what became Mormonism was based on a total misunderstanding of what the first words of Genesis were, you know, the word Elohim, which means basically all-powerful God, they misinterpreted to think it meant many gods. And this whole idea of many gods worked into this polygamy idea. And it all kind of goes back to polygamy, all these ways to justify it. But the sad part is, you know, they a whole bunch of people are, today are they're still trying to justify polygamy and all these actions of people back in the 1800s with spiritualism, which is just wrong. The Book of Mormon, it's totally contradictory in that the simple answer is these people were wrong. Whoever came up with the idea that of their interpretation of Hebrew from the Bible was incorrect. It was just notions of people out living on the prairie. But what's beautiful is that when we look at the Hebrew from these scholars today and then compare it to the Book of Mormon, the writers of the Book of Mormon, you can see they understood it perfectly. It's like uh, one of the things from class was how King Benjamin uses several times this word, the Lord omnipotent, the Lord omnipotent. And one of the Hebrew scholars today says the best w translation of this word Elohim from the beginning of Genesis is, you know, that's God's name, is, you know, all-powerful God. Well, that's what all-powerful means, omnipotent. And when you read King Benjamin's writing, he says he's the Lord omnipotent from the beginning to the end. He will come live in a tabernacle of clay. And one of the Hebrew scholars talks about how this connection between heaven and earth was this tabernacle of God that was going to come to earth. You know, he uses the same words, which is the point is that the Hebrew scholars today, when they drill down into it and try to say in English what these words really meant, you find these words used exactly in the Book of Mormon. And it's like, how could some farm boy just guess at that mm -hmm. and get that right? So that, <clears throat> if you take the phrase, just the first couple sentences of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, there's a whole, a whole story there of things that happened, played out by just the, the letters that are broken down into words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which in English, you can't break up letters of a word and come up with a meaning, but in Hebrew you can because all these roots still take on meaning. And so even the individual letters, there's another video that maybe I'll show next week where, you know, the, the one yesterday took groups of letters and showed words, but the other video takes each individual letter and shows what it means and how that tells a story. And it's the same story of Jesus coming to earth through just each individual letter of those of those words. It's... It's beautiful, it's amazing. But again, I come back to this, the fact that the Book of Mormon, the way it's written, it clearly tells the translation of what Hebrew meant in that day by people who understood the language of their forefathers. You know, uh, King Benjamin in, in Mosiah 1 explains to 
the people that, hey, we were taught in this language of our forefathers, that being like Lehi and Nephi who came out of Jerusalem. <clears throat> the language of the day may have changed, but it sounds like the people who kept the records were all still taught in that original language so they could read the brass plates. And then when you see what they say, you see they had full understanding of the meaning of these words in the Hebrew that, you know, it has eluded people for centuries since the Bible was written. And now it's like they understand it. And it says exactly what the Book of Mormon says. That was so impactful yesterday. And I know you've, like you said, you feel almost unqualified to, well, the depth is just, it just keeps going deeper and, and there's so many layers of God showing the story that he's going to take on flesh and blood and come down here and save us from our sins and, and atone for our sins. So many layers that I, I would think the more you're studying it and reading and watching these things, it, it starts to become more a part of you. But for the casual person that is seeing it for the first time, it's really hard to take it all in. Yeah. But what was really neat and what really struck me, and um, anybody listening, you can go to Restore Gospel Podcast on YouTube and watch the class from yesterday, July class, 4th. Yeah, class 21, July 4th. Yeah. So you're, you're showing uh, these Hebrew scholars that have no affiliation with the church, our church or anything, but they're showing um, this story of Jesus and the Hebrew writing and cross and being nailed and that he's the first fruit, the grain, everything, all these different words. And then you, you pulled up a picture of the Book of Mormon and in, in plain English translated is this same exact phraseology and story as the original Hebrew. And it's like the old, we always talk about the, the first becoming last. And it's like this giant chiasm of God gave the very plain story of what he was going to do through language to the first people to record it. Mm. And then, and then at the end, he brings forth these writings to come forth at the very last days where it had the very plain story of everything we need to know is, is again restored. And here the Book of Mormon is putting it in plain English. You don't have to be a Hebrew scholar. <laughs> and so then you look at the plain yeah. language and you see what people in other parts of the world and not even affiliated with us, they're coming to like the same story that's recorded in the, in the Book of Mormon through the ancient Hebrew. It, it, it's all meshing together. It's crazy. And it's like, how can you ever deny like that this book is a miracle from God? It's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, what's it? extra, um, uh, what's the word for like supernatural? It's supernatural. It's not mm -hmm. a natural thing that a natural man could do, could produce. Isn't that true? Yeah. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper. You know, this is <clears throat> related, but off topic. Um, so I, <clears throat> I work as a contractor for other companies, self-employed. And one of the companies I work for has many uh, plants and many parts of the world. And I, I got a phone call from an engineer I know who's now working at a plant just seven minutes outside of New York City. And uh, he wants me to go look at some projects there. So I'm going there later this week. And I've been to New York before, but um, I just have this feeling, and this is just me talking. This isn't anything prophetic or revelatory or something that needs to be written down. But um, I'm going to have an extra day before I come home. And I, there's some neighborhoods of New York City that are... Um, Orthodox Jewish and the Hasidic Jews 
And I've always wanted to go there. I, I want to go to the kosher bakeries and, you know, get eat food there. And I just want to see the life. But I was just thinking earlier this morning, I think, you know what I want to do is I want to go there and I just, <clears throat> it'd just be me and my own personal thoughts, but I just want to pray for the, for the Jews in those communities who have been hurt by Christians and their, their misrepresentation of Jesus to them because the prophecies are ultimately fulfilled when they come back to Jesus, but they're going to find Jesus in the true way, not in the way that was forced on them. And they're going to find him, they're going to find this Yeshua of the scriptures through their own words and they're going to realize, you know, whatever Gentiles have done to them aside, they're going to come to Christ and fully turn to him. And I just want to pray for that day. It, it may not be in our lifetime at all, but I just want to pray for that day standing in their community. And you know, it's not like I'm going to get a bullhorn or something. But I just have this feeling like I just want to do that, you know, mm -hmm. and pray that somehow this word that we have, and, and this is equally amazing that here we, you know, it's, it's beyond the need for proof to show that this is God's word. There's no way a man could have invented this. And yet we've been given it to hold. We've been given it, like, out of all the people in the world, right now at this point in time, a very small people have it. And we got to be some of the first people. Why? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's God's plan. I don't know. But eventually it goes to the world. The word of Joseph goes back. And it, there's even a place in the Book of Mormon where it says it'll go to, you know, some of the... I don't know, I think it says the most unbelieving of the Jews first, the, the ones who maybe doubted the most. And if you scan Jewish culture, uh, the, the Orthodox Jews are the ones who are, are most ingrained, you know, in just the old tradition. And it's like, you know, like in every religion, you have a spectrum of your conservative to your liberal to your in-between. Same way in Judaism, you know, you have people who are totally liberal and you know for anything and jewish culture was just part of their heritage but it isn't what they live but then you have the hasidic and maybe that's not the only name for them but the the most orthodox who their manner of dress their everything they focus on is torah 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 and anyhow maybe that's where it starts you know maybe that's maybe there's one person someday who gets this word so um anyhow mm. when i'm there i just feel like i want to pray <clears throat> pray for him. And I know I would be probably among thousands of people who pray for the Jewish people all the time that it's not like they're the ones needing Christ. We all need Christ and need right. to come to him and elevate him like you use that word. But yeah. I know the prophecies become fulfilled someday in a new way that the world hasn't seen yet when they do turn to God. And it's after this time that we're seeing when the Gentiles reject this truth. I, I would love to be here when the the covenant people start to accept Jesus. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder how the news programs and the internet would spin that, you know, to, because they would downplay it if they would they wouldn't cover the story. At wouldn't all. cover the story. Yeah. Well, what you said though, like for this record of the Nephites and uh, the house of Israel, Joseph, the tribe, to come to be recorded and to come forth on and to. Have, all of the people that put so much effort and were commanded by Jesus to write these things down, for them to, for, for just to go to a small group of people and no further, that would, that would be interesting. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, probably a way that we think only, but the thought that it's gonna, I mean, it has to go to more people. And yeah. they haven't, it hasn't, like, you know, like we said, Enos hasn't, you know, his prayer hasn't really been fulfilled yet that's a good point to go back to his people and man when that 
takes place to be alive during that time. And I don't know if Jesus is going to come back first before that happens or, or simultaneously or, or that begins a, a great movement and then he comes back. I don't know, but... Hmm. You know, that's something I want to I study more and maybe we can squeeze it in in a class at some point in time and just compare notions that are out there in the world. <clears throat> this rapture idea is so popular uh, and there's no scriptural basis for it, although they take a couple of scriptures and try to bend it into this line of thinking. But the, the, the real word about how Jesus comes back to his people first, you know, the, the world doesn't see that, but the Book of Mormon explains, he says, I'll be there in power among the people, like you say, when this word goes out. And um, I don't know, I, I need to study it to understand it better, but I think there's a completely different picture in the Book of Mormon of how the end times play out than what even we we in the church understand. Because for me, it was always like, well, come to Zion, and Zion is sort of the ending point. You'll be saved, mm -hmm. and you'll stay there, and you'll be safe, and that's it. And the rest of the world will, you know, outside of the walls of Zion is gonna have a hard time. But this picture the Book of Mormon paints about two churches in the end and how he comes and the city is built and this word goes out. Um, oh, I was visiting with someone the other day, uh, I think it was Marlon, who said, yeah, he said, I picture that, that picture of a, a pebble being dropped in the water and the ripples go out. You know, that's the, uh, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's how 3 Nephi 10 describes the word going out from Zion when when Jesus is there, but all this is like before what we have termed his his return in glory, and that's a different uh, different idea. And it's like we have to realize that when when Zion is established, it's that's when the work begins. It's not the end mm -hmm. for for us, and that's just a different paradigm for our people. I think to to consider. Yeah, I'd like to. That would be interesting to really dive down in or to be specific on what the Book of Mormon, and we've done it before. You did it some in the Final Prophecy, yeah. but compare that with the oral tradition of the church and some of those things that we said, because to me, it, to me it brings more hope, mm -hmm. thinking about Christ's return and his, his participation, his, um, what's the word, his guidance and Leadership. Leadership. <laughs> it's like the, the you mentioned in the parable of the olive tree, you know, he's the, the Yeah, master. when he calls his last servant, that, that he's there, but he's now the Lord of the vineyard working with the servants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just him. Yeah, not, it's like heaven is, is the power of heaven is here with us. And, you know, I, I can't kill him this time. Yeah, exactly. And I and I picture this. It's like he still lets us participate in the work and the work goes on in a progression. It's not just like instant suddenly and everything's changed. Eventually it sounds like, you know, the the world becomes a new place, but for now it's like this description in the parable of bad branches being broken off as the good grows and the good overcomes. You know, that's what's happening during this process when Zion is here. It's like good is overtaking evil. And that's, um, you know, I always had it, maybe it was just me, but I always had it backwards. Like the only good place was going to be in these walls that we were going to build in Jackson County and nothing else. And eventually God comes to the earth 
and then the whole earth has changed. But the, the Book of Mormon describes a converting process that's going on and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't know, those details are just amazing to me to think that Jesus directs all that. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine just like sitting under a tree with a bunch of people <laughs> listening to Jesus speak. That's it. Yeah, yeah, really. Like, wait, he's really here and he's the manager. You know, he's the CEO, right? Calling the shots. Yeah, all of the little shenanigans and little games are going to come to an end. And <laughs> yeah. There's big. no more. Boy, the fact that we don't, we don't abide by truth anymore or recognize that there's an ultimate truth. The, when I say we, society as a general is moving away from any definite form of right and wrong even mm -hmm. with with gender and mm -hmm. all of these things is nothing's it's it's whatever you want and whatever you believe the need for truth to be present again is so where there's no uh, arguing there's no doubting it's like this is truth and this is <laughs> this is reality and all of our minds that try to make up our own truth are going to be put down. Like, no, you true? can't argue that anymore. You can't say there's no truth. You can't say there's no law. There is. There is one truth, and mm -hmm. it all comes from him. And that, that is beautiful. Just